everybody out there, it's time for another episode of Star Wars All In, the show that goes all in to all the details of the characters, places, things, and concepts from that galaxy far, far away. I am one of your hosts, my name is Mac, and I'm joined by my fellow holocron seeker, Ross. Mac, great to be here today. We have a little bit of a different fun episode planned the last couple weeks. We've kind of done one large topic, and today we're, we're splitting it back up into some smaller topics, and we are doing a Star Wars TV roundup special. We are doing mm-hmm. one topic from each major Star Wars television show. So we're starting out from the Clone Wars. We are talking about... The Blue Shadow Virus. The Blue Shadow Virus, a very, very fun concept biological weapon from the first season of The Clone Wars. Mm -hmm. Then we're going to move on over to Rebels, and we're going to talk about one of their greatest military minds. Commander Jin Soto. Yes, a a character that we really mostly only know from Rebels, Mm -hmm. but a really, really fun military character. And you'll hear us talk about it a little bit, but, you know, they don't always get... um, the spotlight that they deserve. So it's fun right. to talk about them a little bit. And then finally, we're going to do a Mandalorian topic. We're going to talk about the water planet of Trask, the mm-hmm. home of uh, Frog Lady, Frog Man, Frog Child, Frog Baby, all of the frog people. Cable Knit Sweater, Mon Cal, the Corian <laughs> Brothers. It's going to be a blast. It is. And we're going to get started with it right after this. I'm so pleased you inquired. A demonstration is in order. Allow me to present the return of the infamous Blue Shadow Virus. The Blue Shadow Virus? I thought that deadly disease was extinct. Yes, it was wiped from the galaxy generations ago, but I have given it life once again. Yeah, 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 yes. Your eyes do not deceive you. I have perfected an airborne strain of the Blue Shadow Virus. Are you insane? It's a deadly disease. No life forms are immune to it. That's why it was eradicated. You mean murdered? Take this away. Okay. Meanwhile, as we speak, thousands and thousands of so-called superior life forms are spreading their disease of war throughout the galaxy. Perhaps they are the ones who should be eradicated. All right. Well, as the man said, uh, we're talking about the Blue Shadow Virus. You know, coming off a year-long pandemic, why not talk about the most deadly pandemic in the Star Wars universe? Ooh. It might be. It's definitely uh, one of the first times we really talk about, like, Really dig into disease yeah. in the Star Wars universe. I think universe. it's the only one. I cannot, at least off the top of my head, think about another. I guarantee at least not the in EU, canon, maybe in Legends. I say I guarantee the EU provided yeah. more disease, but I think, yeah, I think the only two things I can think of is there's the Blue Shadow Virus. You could argue Red Harvest with the. Zombie. Oh yeah, you could argue that maybe. Um, that that's. Well, because that's it's not, biological. It's also that's legends, though, too. Well, sure, really, sure, sure. Like I said, I, I um, think I'm, I think it's only going to be in legends. You're going to find 
Who, what about the Jedi Healer think... books? Is there anything in there? I haven't like read Metastar, those. Metastar, Metastar One. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but I don't. I think it's Not all vague. Or... I think it's all. I think it's all vague. Yeah, like like most stuff. of the stuff is like injuries, like yeah. um, like Luke getting smashed up by a wampa. I don't think yeah. they're really worried about infection. I assume yeah. Bacta takes care of that. Yeah, the miracle drug. Huh. That's also part of like. The, yeah. So Star Wars is part of the broader, uh, you know, genre of sci-fi, the space opera, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And the space opera where planets are one terrain type, and it takes a couple of hours to get to anywhere in the galaxy, right? I think part of the charm of that is like, yeah, we kind of need to stop thinking about like, you know, the problems of going from one terrain type <laughs> to another, one environment to another. Like, I mean, people get diseases doing border crossings across civilized countries in our world, let alone like <laughs> like the idea of going to a different planet. Yeah, um, that's so a it, good point. It needs hand waved quite a bit because otherwise no one goes anywhere <laughs> kind of like us in the real world right now in 2021 good point good point as we are uh, as we are stuck here cowering in fear of the blue shadow virus we are well we're ready to talk about it because this is a fun little um well as we just kind of said unique point in the clone wars so if you're not familiar this is a plot from uh it's kind of the central plot of two episodes of the clone wars right and if i remember correctly season one Right, Mac? This is pretty uh, yeah. early on. Um, so the Blue Shadow Virus is this really, f- in my opinion, fun episode that takes place on Naboo. On Naboo. And yes. the episode is great because you get to see lots of N1 fighters. Yes. And that, that's really all you need to and know. That's you, watch and, it. And as we found your favorite. Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> I'm trying to think. So this is the end of season one. And I believe this yeah. is the first time we see Naboo. Like, I don't know. I think if we, it is. Yeah. I think it's I the first time we've seen Naboo in animation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they were kind of careful around like natural looking environments and stuff. I think this mm-hmm. was sort of them unwrapping like grasslands and stuff like that mm-hmm. and, and doing a little more with water and stuff. Because up to this, we've mostly been on asteroids and crystalline planets and ships. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah. The, the metal look. Yeah, and yeah. Naboo doesn't Hard have surfaces. A lot of that. Yeah. So this episode starts up, and, and what we're talking about here is we're talking about the virus itself, kind of, and what it does. Correct. But we are going to talk a little bit about the framing of the episode, too. So a yeah. few spoilers for the episode, for sure. So if you want to see this, uh, just as a one last heads up. So anyway, um, the episode starts off where we see a bunch of, uh, you know what? I should have looked up what they were called. Space cows. What would you call what would you call them? So on Naboo, I didn't write in my notes either. I know called. we should have looked it up. There are uh, these uh nerfs. I don't know. They, I mean they could be. So there are these uh these Nabooian space cows and they're drinking out of a wa- out of a out of you know a stream. Yes. And they just start dying. <laughs> they just start they turn gray and they fall over. And it is discovered that the water has been poisoned. So the you know the the rulers of Naboo, the current queen, call in the Jedi to help. Right, and of course, if a Jedi shows up, it's probably going to be Anakin. If it's Anakin, then Padme is going to be around because yeah. those two are really, really close friends. So we end up with a really fun situation of having Anakin, Padme, Ahsoka, Jar Jar, uh, Captain Typho. <laughs> By the way, I looked it up, and they're investigating these dead's shacks. Shacks. Oh, S-H-A-A-K. we should have known that. 
or shakes. We should have no. I think shacks. the shacks. We should have known that. Ah, uh, that was a silly one. Okay. Yeah, these just giant comma creatures. So, so they they these creatures are dying, and no one knows. You know, no one knows why. No one knows why, and. It and I also creates say, some serious problems. Oh, yeah. Well, I also really enjoy that. I Some things I just want to say about the episode is I like this all takes place on Naboo. Well, actually, you're going to hear me say this a lot during this episode. I have no memory of these other than the over the top, like German scientist bravado of the blue shadow virus. Other than that stuff, like, I've completely forgotten almost every detail about this episode. I'm like, oh, yeah, it took place in a Hey, look, it's Captain Typho. This is great. Oh, it's the queen that follows. That's really neat. Like, I'm, <laughs> like I apparently have. I, I mean. So you had a nice experience watching the episodes again. I did. I, I, I've been doing a Clone Wars rewatch. We, we actually, we skipped these episodes because the friend I'm showing is mostly interested in the Mandalorian story. So we're kind of sticking to that. And I'm doing some what I consider load-bearing episodes to understand the plot of... Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, my thing is, when you watch the season finale, can you understand it? I'm just... All episodes have to support that end goal. That eh, makes sense. Except maybe the Zilla Beast, because that's just cool. But in general, <laughs> like... So we skipped over these. So going back to it, it was yeah. kind of like, oh, yeah, season one. Um, and it made me realize that other than a handful of episodes, like the Mortis trilogy and stuff, like 80% of Clone Wars I haven't watched since... 2008 or whatever year they premiered and I just watched them that one time listened to like a podcast breakdown of them and then moved on with my life yeah I definitely am happy that I have experienced them more recently for sure yeah so I know you're also enjoying that rewatch um it's fun because I feel like we're both getting to a point now I know like when we talked last week with our episode we're both getting to a point where Oh, I can just recall a bunch of Clone Wars details now off the top of my head. Yeah. And a few years ago, I couldn't do that. I mean, a few years ago, I wasn't even a fan of the Clone Wars. So it's a nice uh, it's a nice change. And this is yeah. an episode that I think definitely deserves some uh, some rewatching if you haven't watched it in a while. Oh, yeah. It, it's it's a lot of fun. And I again, I think the thing that really threw me is like just how much fun it is to be on Naboo with characters like Typho and Jar Jar. Mm-hmm. Like in habitats where they're really effective at their jobs rather than like Jar Jar being on Rhodia and causing mischief pretending he's a Jedi. <laughs> Classic Jar Jar. He's, he is really funny in Clone Wars. I, I, I like Jar Jar in Clone Wars, but that's mostly cause like we're all in on the joke of like Jar Jar's yeah. kind of incompetent in a way that's sometimes very dangerous. So like, <laughs> yeah. again, like, you know, giving emergency powers to the chancellor that kind of stuff. Poor Jar Jar. You know, he He tried. He tried so hard. He did try so hard. He tried so hard. I I forgive him. And and Jar Jar's sort of the one that starts taking them on this journey because, like, oh, well, like, this virus is waterborne. So, like, the Gungan are super concerned about it. They are. Yeah, the, the virus is waterborne. And so let's talk about the history of the Blue Shadow virus, right, a little bit. So, naturally... This is a waterborne virus. This is something that you get, you know, only by drinking the water or being in the water, right? Yeah. So if you're infected, you have basically 48 hours to live before it becomes fatal. And it's supposedly incurable with a 96% rate in killing carbon-based life forms. Which, again, in Star Wars land is pretty impressive that basically all humanoids are... are not even humanoids, I'm sorry. All, like, the standard life is at danger with it. Right. We're, we're lucky that, like, you know, 
most diseases stay in whatever species, right? I mm-hmm. mean, the whole problem with COVID is it was in bats and then it got to us yeah. or whatever, right? Like, we're lucky that most of the really, like, we're really lucky that mad cow disease, for instance, never really came over to humans. Yeah. So uh, it's especially terrifying to think of a virus that, like, whether you're a shack or whether you're a human or a Gungan, which you assume all three of those species are very genetically different. Like, Mm -hmm. you you assume Gungans are more amphibians and humans are obviously mammals. Like, you would think that wouldn't cross the line. So it's terrifying. Well, uh, I mean, it is absolutely terrifying, especially when there's a mad doctor trying to perfect the blue shadow virus and turn it from waterborne to airborne. Yeah, because as they're poking around, they find like a tactics droid buried in the mud and they start putting together of like, I think the separatists are doing something here. (laughs) Not again. Those dastardly separatists always doing stuff on the boo. And so here on this like neutral country, we've we've got like this secret lab in Switzerland that's actually working for the Nazis (laughs) and they're developing (laughs) bioweapons. Unfortunately, that's exactly what we have. So uh, Jar Jar recognizes a specific type of beetle that crawls out Mm -hmm. of the battle droid. And this leads Padme to uh, try and locate this secret lab that they believe exists on Naboo. Because they interrogate this this droid and they find out all this information. And they're basically learning that, uh uh-oh, something is not right. So mm-hmm. they, they go off to this the far, you know, kind of rural parts of Naboo where there's nothing around. They're walking through the forest. And all of a sudden, a bunch of battle droids pop up through the dirt and take them hostage. Yes. Now, this is where we first meet Dr. Nuvo Vindi. Nuvo Vindi! Oh, I can't wait to hear you. Go ahead. Just go ahead, Mac. Oh, just... So, <laughs> this... Uh, Gaia is a Faust. And so there's sort of these very pale blue skinned, kind of tall, but with these very like sunken Mm -hmm. black ringed eyes that have these weird double slits, like double eyelids to them. So he's already kind of like an interesting and kind of like very expressive character. Mm -hmm. And this is where Clone Wars reminds you of like, they love cartoons. Very much. uh, Because this is very much a like mid-century, 20th century, like the total stereotype of the German scientist. <laughs> he's just overly dramatic. He probably listens to Wagner. He's constantly talking about how brilliant he is and how he's doing the work that no one else can understand. And so he's building himself up and he's talking about how intelligent he is and how no one before him had figured out how to take the waterborne blue shadow virus and make it into the airborne blue shadow virus. I have perfected death. <laughs> And that, that I mean, exactly. it's real over the exactly. top in a way that I think is charming, but I really do remember at the time was not all that well received. And I think that's because yeah, I'm listening to podcasts of, you know, 30, 40 something Star Wars fans who are, we wanted it to be like serious, like super serious. We're more about like the Mortis trilogy and stuff like that. And then like landing at Point Rain, where it got all like Normandy in there. Like, <laughs> right? Like, so, so this to me is like, this is a little bit, this is, I don't want to say a kiddier episode because kitty is not the right word when you're talking about a bioweapon. Um, <laughs> But like it, it's it's a little more cartoonish. It's well, a little more over the top. Like like characters yeah. like Peppy Bo in here is a little yes. goofy. Yeah, Peppy Bo, another Gungan in the episode who helps discover the origins of you know of what's yeah, because she's on the she's a shock herder. Yes, um, you know it's a very fair point. I think. I, I, I mean, let's just say this here. You know that fun 
element of Star Wars is what I think a lot of us like about the Clone Wars. Sure. And I think it's what makes episodes like this and the Zilla Beast episode and, you know, Brain Invaders, all of those, uh, I think a lot of fun. But what's interesting about all of this is this episode is not just... There's a lot more happening once you get yeah. past the first couple minutes. You know, there's all this stuff about, uh, you know, Padme and uh, Ahsoka being exposed to the virus and what happens if they are. And, you know, even if we stop the doctor, that doesn't solve the problem that these people are potentially infected and could die. Yeah, because what you find out the plot is, is this doctor has perfected the Blue Shadow virus by instead of being waterborne, he's made it a variant that's airborne. Mm-hmm. Now, if it's airborne, like we found with COVID, uh if it's airborne, it can move. It's the fastest moving we know diseases to be because mm-hmm. it can be passed by just close proximity, breathing on people, coughing, sneezing, and all this kind of stuff. So, very, very deadly. And so, you have this situation where, like, yeah, Padme and Ahsoka get infected, but they can't really leave the lab that they're in because if they do, they could infect the whole planet. So, like, Obi Wan and Anakin have to go on a mission to go and find a cure for it, which. It's infamously uncured because this is not the first time the galaxy has seen the blue shadow virus. It's a virus that many people thought was dead or dormant. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like not only is this thing back, but it's been weaponized. And that eventually leads to the idea of like them using it as a terror weapon. Like they have bombs and strategically important military targets. The plot is to make these bombs that are laced with the blue shadow virus so that it kills everything. And he's got a bunch of uh, little fun droids helping him out in his uh, yes. in his plot here. Bunch yes, of little, they're like these little pear shaped droids with little like tuning forks on their heads. They're tons of. It's fun. It's the little rabbit droids that they show up all through Clone Wars. They, do, they got yeah. that model and they nailed it, and they just use it everywhere. They do. They're great. That's the little model that brings like the drinks to like the uh, mm-hmm. the two generals meeting at the beginning of Clone Wars, like the movie. <laughs> Oh, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, they're just they're these just little helper droids, these little like gophers. Yeah, they're tons of fun. And the episode, <laughs> basically, the droids have the one last bomb, the one last file of the airborne virus that they're trying to, you know, stop from being released. So Anakin comes in and, of course, has to save the day, right? As always. His two biggest attachments have this virus. He has to save the day. He has well, to that's save later, the day. but still. That's still, yeah. <laughs> but the the whole the whole thing that we're really talking about here, now that we have the general gist of it, is you know, the idea of a biological weapon in Star Wars. Because Vindy is working for the Confederacy, by the way. We should point that out. This is one side trying to basically have a weapon that they can use to completely dominate their enemy. Right. In a utterly devastating way, a way that is, you know, even, uh, you know, an assault on a city is nothing compared to a plague that can wipe out 96% of the population. Of, yeah, all the sentient life on all these different planets. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So my question for you is, you have this doctor Mm -hmm. who's, you know, working on this virus, right? For the Confederacy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why is the Confederacy wanting something that is so devastating you know if they start unleashing that on planets what is their strategy here with this uh, i don't think they get into this episode but i think you use a weapon like this for one of two reasons okay one if maybe you've heard of the techno union you may be like well if we get rid of all organic life we could probably get by we're like only 30 (laughs) percent organic at this point you know um I think the biggest thing is in military conflict, it makes sense because it's going to kill clones and battle droids won't care. 
right? I mean, from a military standpoint, but it's so insanely deadly that I feel that this is more of a brinksmanship weapon, like how, you know, the United States and Russia kept building nuclear missiles, but both sides were equally like, we never want to use these. <laughs> well, why are we building them? Because they're going to build them. And if they build them, then we have to have them too. Mm-hmm. And it was more of a just, a you know, you could see the separatists kind of drawing down, like, you know, there are eight, you know, all across Coruscant, there are these bombs, and at my word, I will unleash them, and I will kill 96% of, mm-hmm. of Coruscant, unless you sign the treaty establishing that the Separatists have control of these systems, and will, you know, and you de-arm the, the uh, you know, disband the Grand Army of the Republic. Like, you could see that sort of yeah. ultimatum with yeah. something this dangerous. I mean, that's a really, really good point and a fair point, I think. It's definitely possible that Dooku intended to use this as sort of a way to end the war. So then my question comes down to, you know, we're making a lot of assumptions here in guesses, sure. but if Dooku is directly, you know, Vindy is directly reporting to him, yes. right? And Dooku's the one who's like, yeah, we need this blue shadow virus. It can help us win the war. Let's do it. Is this something Palpatine is also aware of? Probably not. And the reason I say that is because there is a whole subtext to everything that Dooku thinks he's going to win. Dooku is not aware that both armies are in the play of his master. Mm -hmm. He does not know that Sidious is Palpatine, right? Right. And so I think there are a number of plots in Clone Wars that only make sense if it's Dooku trying to win for the Separatists, Mm -hmm. not part of the grand plan Mm -hmm. that Palpatine has. Are we sure? I agree with everything except I have a question on one thing. Are we sure that Dooku does not know Palpatine is Sidious? Because he meets with him on Coruscant at the end of episode two. It would all all come from episode two, right? Sure. And then, so not only that, but then when Obi-Wan is being interrogated by Dooku um, on Geonosis. Yeah. Doesn't Dooku tell him that the Sith have infiltrated the Republic? Yeah. Right? And then also, uh, at, at the beginning of episode three, uh, wouldn't Dooku know Palpatine is Sidious then? So, to me, there are a couple of things. One, I think dramatically, in my opinion, and, and I, think, I think GL would go with me on this, when... Palpatine says, oh, good Anakin, you've come here to save me. Now do it. Yeah. Is a lot of fans, I think, will interpret that Dooku going like, kill me, but I'm on your side, right? I have always interpreted that as like, you're you're him. (laughs) You're my boss. And like, I think in that moment, that's when Dooku realizes like, I'm, I was just a pawn the whole time. There was no power for me. I was never going to overthrow you. This is terrible. Like it's certain. Yeah, I think either is absolutely possible. And I, ultimately, I don't think it matters. I think Dooku in the Clone Wars TV show makes way too many decisions that are like. <sighs> there's just way too many decisions that I feel he's truly invested in the separatist cause. Like, yeah. I, let's put it this way. I think he's supporting the, the separatist not only as the Dark Lord of the Sith who, you know, is oh, yeah. working with his master oh, to yeah. try and defeat the corrupt uh, Republic. He's as a much as he, As much as he's the Count of Sereno who thinks that there is a political problem with the Republic that needs, dismo- you know, demolished. Yeah. I don't think it's like, oh, well, my master has both sides playing against it, but he's going to let my side win in the end. Like, I don't think it's that because like there's episodes later with like the parliament episode and stuff like that where 
I really do think that Dooku is... I think he knows Sidious is connected, but I think he sees Sidious as like a deep throat. Like he's he's letting you know all the bad stuff going on the on the Senate because he's connected. He knows what's going on and he's trying to pull strings for us. Yeah. That's how we keep getting secret information, is yeah. because he's really well connected. Not he's the commander in chief of the opposing side. That's a very fair point, too, because we know that Yeah, we know Dooku is a believer in the fact that he wants he believes in the separatist cause. He returns to Sereno and becomes the count, you know, leaving the Jedi order in really late life. I mean, like yeah. in the seventies or whatever, right? Like in really late life, leaves the Jedi order, goes back to Sereno, discovers that, you know, I, I have a greater purpose here by leading this kind of rebellion against the Galactic Republic. Right. So they're definitely I guess what I'm might what I'm trying to say is For most of the Clone Wars, he probably didn't know. But I think at a certain point, he had to know. Right. I I guess the big thing is I was showing you is like, I do not think he knows in episode two that when he meets in the industrial area of Coruscant, that that is the the Senator, that Senator Palpatine, Chancellor Palpatine. I mean, I just I just think there's so much stuff that doesn't work after that. And yes. In real life, people would know Clark Kent is Superman. In real life, yes, a hood is not going to be enough for you to go, who could Sidious be? Like, I know that. But, like, this is a world where laser swords know how to go so far. So it's part of the drama. It's part of the the <laughs> opera of this is the fact that characters don't know this stuff. Uh, absolutely. Hey, tell us what you think. If you think yeah. Dooku knew, really, we should probably just go read the episode three novelization. Um, it's maybe. been a while. Is that still canon? <laughs> No, I don't think so. <laughs> I was gonna say, but it is one of the best Star Wars books of all time, so I'm um, going to go read it anyway. But like to this point, like I think the Blue Shadow Virus is something that's one of like Dooku's initiatives because I think the main point about it is we would see it again in Clone Wars if Palpatine knew about it. Yeah, like because we see with like the Zillow Beast episode, like Palpatine's like, oh, this is really useful. Oh, for the Republic's cause. No, no, maybe for a later use, right? Like, you, let's put it this way. Someone in the EU, not the EU, the current expanded canon universe would have already had the, like, post 9-11 war on terror version where some planet's getting wiped out by the blue shadow virus. Yeah, you know you're probably I mean? right. Like, that, probably right. that seems like an imperial terror weapon of, like, we can't, like, could you just imagine how different rebels would be if they're like, We've lost Lothal. We just can't control this place. Oh. The dispose of it. Man, could you imagine if someone named, like, Thrawn, who has blue skin, had control of the blue shadow virus? What a terrible virus you could kill millions with it. Mm. But of great strategic importance. (laughs) Yeah, you could see that. So, eventually, you know, Vindy does succeed in making the virus airborne. Yeah. But there is also a cure for the virus. Un, un, previously unknown because when this virus went around before it was eradicated it was deadly and there was no cure but on the planet uh what is it i i no, no it's not icona it's oh uh iago iago yeah, I, iago it looks like lego because the capital i remind me of an l uh, <laughs> But on this uh, forbidden planet that the Separatists have really locked down with like a laser grid and stuff is this root that can be harvested to be turned into a cure for the virus. 
Um, which is smart. If you are building a terror bioweapon, you should probably spend the money to see if you can cure it just in case. Just in case. Um, and so Anakin and Obi-Wan basically infiltrate that planet, get the root because, you know, Anakin, again, his two attachments have this, it has to be fixed. And they, they do kind of, you know, cure the blue shadow virus. They stop the bombs. Long story short in the meta of the episodes is like, they stop the, the threat, right? And, and it's implied that the blue shadow virus is toast. Like they, they, they've cured it. And what, what is left of the weapons is going to be properly disposed Mm -hmm. of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and so, like I said, it's something I think would be interesting to have in Star Wars again, because like, okay, there's only one planet in this one route that cures it. Okay, great. So the cure would be really hard to acquire yep. for like, say, saving the entire population of Alderaan, which is another way you could get rid of that stupid planet that doesn't want to expand, you know, accept your rule. Um, but I think... I don't know. It just, it does seem a little bit too deadly for something to not be talking about the fact of like, what is your, are you using this for brinksmanship? Like what is the, what is Dooku's plan with this? Cause Dooku, cause it's just a terror weapon. There's no real, once you drop it on a population, it'll just spread through the population till like you've wiped out everyone who can carry it. Like yeah. it's not, it's not like it's a genocide weapon. Right, 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 right. This is a a WMD, Weapon of Mass Destruction. Because unlike how conventional biological agents have been used in actual warfare, you know, they're mostly either brinksmanship weapons or they're things like mustard gas in World War II, which eventually disperses safely into the air. It is not permanent. It's only when it's concentrated, it's deadly. That's the same with a lot of deadly gases like you know, even, you know, weapons agents like anthrax and stuff like that. It's, it's all about concentration because you don't want your own troops to die from the thing you're using against the enemy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it, it it's a little silly. But again, I think this this whole thing has got a strange tone because, again, you build this bioweapon, you make it very, very terrifying. And then you put this comic character who's the one who's engineered it. And then the plot is kind of fuzzy. And at the end, like, it's just an exciting three episodes of Star Wars. Two episodes. Two, I'm sorry. Two it's episodes, a duology. Yeah. That's yeah, right. Two episodes. Um, the second episode is called Mystery of a Thousand Moons, by the way. Yeah. Just and then the first one's just the blue flesh of Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think it's just, we want to talk about it, and I want to bring it up just because I think it's really fascinating to think of those kinds of weapons. Now, uh, and I mentioned earlier, I had completely forgotten these episodes. So in the core of my brain, for the longest time, this <laughs> weapon has been something totally different <laughs> really tell me what you remembered about it so, what did you think for some reason i conflated it and I, I i argue this is one of those bad problems i really hate with fandom where like you're like hey guys i just want to let you know this this thing was not that great because i thought of a better ending for it and so oh, really no. they should have used my ending oh, right no. like i hate that about fandom like yeah. I, one of the most wonderful gifts that this show has given me is like really sticking to my brain of love the star wars you have because that's the Star Wars you have. Yeah. You could think of a million different Star Wars that you might personally like better, but that's that's a fool's errand, because maybe no one else would like that. Yeah. Mandalorian proves that I'm wrong, that if you make a Star Wars that's just for me, people will like it. But anyway, um, for some reason, I, I, I love spy fiction, mm-hmm. and there were two spy video games that had bioweapons that were genetically coded. 
So you've got siphon filter, which mm -hmm. the entire eponymous name siphon filter is a virus that can be programmed to target a person's specific genetics. So you could drop it in like Paris, hundreds, if not thousands of people get the virus and it doesn't do anything. Maybe it gives them the sniffles. But the one you targeted, it's all these vectors to get at that person. And once that person has it, it kills them. It just causes like, I think brain aneurysms is what Siphon Filter did. Hmm. And in the Metal Gear series, there's Fox Die. Same yeah. idea. A genetically tailored virus that only goes after people. Yeah. Now, in that game, you have clones of someone. So when you program the virus for one, it kind of gets anyone else's clone from that same DNA. And... For some reason in my head, the Blue Shadow virus was an engineered virus that attacked the clones, Django Fett's DNA, which would be a way better weapon for the Separatists <laughs> to figure out because then it would only wipe out the clone military and no one else. Yeah. No collateral damage. It only kills your enemy. And in this one case, it seems like something you could really cleverly design because they are all the same person. Yeah. So, like, That's if you find out Django Fett yeah. has fallen arches, you could exploit that across an entire military. <laughs> you know, um, it, it's it's kind of a wacky thing. to. And for some yeah. reason, I don't know when it got conflated. I don't know if it was just me thinking about the blue shadow virus and thinking that, like, oh, 96 percent murder rate. Like, that's ridiculous. Who would feel that? And me going like, what would be better is and then just it over time getting synced together that that's what the blue shadow virus yeah, was. Yeah. Um, but like, <laughs> I, I, what so I when you do... texted me and said, Hey, let's do blue shadow virus as a topic. You didn't know what it was yet. <laughs> no, no, no. Oh, I didn't remember right, what it right, actually right, right, right. was. Right, 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 right. Of course, and to be right. honest, at first I'm like, when I read it, look at the local P page on it. I'm like, where's the genetic targeting? It doesn't have genetic targeting. And I'm like, I should go watch these episodes. I apparently don't remember them. And then I'm watching them like, oh, it's on Naboo. I forgot. Like, everything other than the, than the wide arms swinging over the top German man. Like, yeah. I remember very little of this. And he stole I, the show. I totally enjoyed it for completely different reasons than I was expecting. Like, it was, uh, it was a different set of episodes than I thought. Uh, and to be honest, it's been just interesting to think about the fact that there's just very few diseases in Star Wars. Almost all of them are like, I mean, I think we've heard of like radiation sickness. I think we've heard of like spice addiction. Mm -hmm. We have, yeah. And some maladies like that, but not, not diseases. There's not, you know, I'm sure somewhere someone's written like, oh, I got Renaxian cold, you yeah. know, or, oh, he's got Ravidian flu. Like, I'm sure those have been thrown around somewhere in the history of Star Wars, but like, you don't hear anyone in Hoth base going like, I need chicken noodle soup because I've got Hoth cold. <laughs> you know, I got, I got Hoth flu. <laughs> the Tauntaun flu. Well, I, I, yeah, I got Wampa pox. You know, like, <laughs> I don't, it just doesn't happen that often. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of weird, especially again, especially this year where maybe we've been overly fixated on the transmission of disease <laughs> and realizing just how dirty and dangerous our world can be when we get hypersensitive about it that way. Well, maybe Blue Shadow Virus will come back in the Bad Batch. I, like I said, anything it, is possible. Uh, it does seem like something that should have shown up again because mm -hmm. it's just it's such a potent piece of terror. So I was just looking through, uh, you know, the, the Wikipedia here as, as we were talking and I realized that uh, Dr. Vindy 
mm-hmm. is apparently also mentioned in Catalyst. Oh, he is. I he, had no, no idea. No, I, I did. I don't remember that at I all. I do remember this because it's him and uh, Lock Dodd. I think are the two that are like made for. Um, there's a part where Orson Krennic is. It's during the Clone Wars where he's working for the Republic at this point before it becomes the Empire. And uh, he's basically trying to get the Ursos back. They are sort of in enemy occupied mm-hmm. lands. And he proposes a spy trade, which, again, I love Catalyst to death. And I love how real world it feels. Mm-hmm. And like the idea of like, of course, there would be spy trades. We did that all the time during the Cold War. That would be a thing. And I'm also thinking about like. And much like a lot of German scientists that the Russians and Americans split up after Nazi Germany and where they said, uh, you're pardoned as long as you work for us. <laughs> like, there's a lot of that going on. Like, yeah. so it's kind of crazy to think of this, this like master death maker, like getting a pardon and getting sent back to his home country. But I'm like, that makes sense. I don't think it, I don't think they go through with it. I think it's just him proposing it. Cause I think the Ursos, uh, it, it it doesn't go exactly yeah, that way in the mouth. Yeah. That's what happens. Yeah. But, huh. but yeah, it was, it was that. And I just remember going like, Oh my goodness, these two losers. Cause locked is also kind of like, for lack of a better term, if you don't remember locked he's the chubby Nabonian. <laughs> um, and so it's just, it's weird to think of it, Imperial prisons. We get to see a really good separatist prison, but we don't really get to see a good, Imper- yeah. uh, you know, uh, Republic prison. Yeah. I mean, really the only time we ever see a Republic prison, there's really two instances I can think of in, in, you know, current Canon one in the story mission of Battlefront 2, you see like oh, a yeah. brig on a ship. Well, we see lots of brigs. There's yeah. A, uh, like we've seen Cad Bane. We've seen yeah. uh, people like sure, locked up in the brig. Sure, sure, sure. Like holding cells. True. That's true. It's not just that one. That's um. true. That's a good point. And then uh, in Mando, the New Republic transport, prison transport ship. Right. I guess what it comes down to is while I've played one in Dark Dark Forces, and so I have a very good idea in my head what they're supposed to look like, (laughs) what the panopticon of a detention center is supposed to look like, um, we don't really see detention centers. Uh, The one I'm thinking of is there is the Separatist prison we do see that where they uh, where they're moving around with Tarkin. Mm -hmm. Um, That's the only one I can like think of. Um, But that's kind of a unique, weird thing. Um, Yeah. Oh, and of course, the prison bar- bards, this is Legends, but of Death Troopers is all on a prison ship. Oh, uh, yes. Which yes, is yes, a, yes, yes. which isn't just the brig, the entire ship's a prison yes. ship. And that was a cool ship. That was a cool idea for sure. Death Troopers, yeah. Hmm. Been a while. <laughs> and there's another disease. The, uh, what was the, oh, I'm forgetting the name of it. The what? Uh, I don't remember what they call it. Yeah. It has a name. It does. Black Lung or something? No. Anyway, eh, doesn't matter. We're not talking about that today. We've already talked about. You that. can check out that episode and go to our in depth from uh, last Halloween. So, or last last Halloween. Yeah, I think it's been yeah pre pandemic. I think that one was. Well, we'll keep things loose here as we move on to our next topic. Um, <laughs> not, thank you for... a, not a plague. Our next topic, not a plague. But let's find out what it is. Sato is employing a Denon tactic. Both. But I'd expect no less from the best commander to ever come out of the Mikabo system. Hold it! Charge the blockade! Commander, they destroyed the Orion. Capital ships, hold your position. Their cruisers will have to come to us. Hera, I can't get through as long as those interdictor cruisers are cutting us off. 
and prepare to jump. All hands, abandon ship and make for Atalon. We're staying, Commander. Very well. Man your stations. That's the command ship. Move to intercept. But sir, Admiral Thrawn ordered us to maintain our position. Move to intercept! I will not be denied the glory of this kill. Constantine, return to your assigned coordinates immediately. I've had enough of your games, Grand Admiral. Hera! What's Sato doing? He's drawing that ship out of position. Get ready to jump! No! Sir, he's changing course! No! Take evasive action! ship escaped the blockade. Constantine was careless. Let's hope he did not undermine my efforts. Press the attack, force them to ground. All ships, return to base. talk about Jun Sato. An important character, and he only really appears in the Rebels TV show. Yeah. Um, and he's sort of I would, the proto-Jan Dodano. Like, he's sort of, like, supposed to be this brilliant strategist, mm -hmm. and he's kind of shown to be one of the first people kind of putting a real fighting force together in the Rebellion era. Yeah, he is, um, you know, for our purposes, what we're discussing today, he is essentially the leader, the commander of Phoenix Squadron. Right. Uh, one specific cell that will eventually go on and, well, they do, you know, we see it happen. They join the Rebel Alliance mm -hmm. and they become part of this bigger thing. So, you know, this is something that talks is talked about a good bit in Rebels and a little bit in Rogue One. But it's not something that if you're just kind of a casual Star Wars fan, you might understand. Basically... All throughout the galaxy, there are little groups of people who are fighting against the Empire. Eventually, a few years before the Battle of Yavin in the first Death Star, Mon Mothma, Bail Organa, and a bunch of other people bring together all of these little rebel cells. You know, characters like Saw Gerrera and, um, and Fist Nest. You know, characters that we've met, we've seen examples of little bands of rebels throughout. Mm -hmm. And bring them together and form an alliance. So it is literally a bunch of small groups coming together and forming a big group, right? Right. And that's what we're seeing here is we're seeing the commander of one of these small groups, Phoenix Squadron. Right. And we are first introduced to him. So in the first arc of uh, Rebels, there's a movie where we have the fun of having Vader show up. Yes. And that's sort of where we uh, meet Sato because... Our, our Lothal Rebels, Spectre yeah. Squadron here, is basically finally meeting up with some bigger, more connected, more organized yes. parts. And yeah, they're, they're very excited. The big picture. 
yeah, they're very excited to get part of that. Of course, the problem is they lead Darth Vader to that to that fleet, and that that doesn't go well because Darth Vader's he's really good at what he does. He's shooting <laughs> shooting stuff not. in a yeah. Tie Fighter. He's real good at that. Real pro. Uh, and so it's kind of a miracle people make it out of there to begin with. Mm-hmm. And I think the biggest reason for that is we is it I think it is in that movie we learn who Fulcrum is. We is learn who Fulcrum is at the end of season one, right? Right. And I'm trying to remember this movie takes place at the beginning of season two. Right. So it's right. quote unquote like right. between we meet one and Sato two. in like the first episode of season two. Yeah. Okay. When we meet him. From what I remember. Open a minute. Well, I didn't watch uh, that. If I remember episode. correctly, that this is the battle where Vader realizes, oh, the apprentice lives. Yeah. And that's sort of the only reason this entire fleet gets away, because Vader's like just distracted by that little, enough. Yeah, little just shocked. enough. Just a teeny bit. Yeah. Um, but Sato is one of the main contacts of Fulcrum, who mm-hmm. is, we find yes. out is Ahsoka. But yes. Fulcrum we've been hearing about all season one because Fulcrum is this great this person who has almost like clairvoyant understanding of the movings around the galaxy. It's almost mm-hmm. like they can tap into a, a greater energy uh, field that surrounds all living. Yeah. 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 Like yeah. To be like extra wise, more yeah. wise than people could normally be. Uh, yeah. Like it's one of those things in hindsight of like, of course that's who it is. <laughs> like, um, but Sato has great respect for her. Like, I think we get the idea. And uh, unfortunately, there's not a lot of non-canon from Rebel stuff. But, like, I get the feeling that Sato was probably similar to a um, a Tarkin or a um, Yularen. I think he was probably a military advisor during the Clone Wars from his own planetary militia. Because... He seems to have a lifetime of war experience that someone at one BBY wouldn't necessarily make sense to have. There's a little bit of a Sato story, a little bit of a prequel story. Um, very, very little. But he, he grows up on the planet Mycapa. Yes. And he initially, you know, was a smuggler. Mm-hmm. And essentially he kind of gotten tricky with the, the rulers of the planet. And they kind of gets like an exile uh. type of situation from there. Um, and basically he leaves. And then from there we jump to commanding Phoenix cell. Right. So we don't actually know how he gets there, but it is certainly possible. Well, in that case, again, it's, it seems like someone who maybe sign up for the Republic war efforts because mm-hmm. I mean, he's no spring chicken. So I think he was he definitely of, of a good age when yeah. the Clone Wars were raging. He definitely feels like a seasoned character. Um, and we see him being extremely strategic. He's outflanking a lot of the Imperial plans. He loses like his flagship in that battle and stuff. And he not all that much later has a new carrier ship to support Phoenix squadron. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. He's ambitious in the sense that they create Phoenix nest, which is the, like the a rebel base. So they actually have a rebel base of operations that they're running these like um, missions with. And also the rebels are running out of there and also keep going back to Lothal for harassment maneuvers. And um, again, a very well put together guy. And I think probably the best compliment you can give is when he engages in battle with Thrawn, Thrawn says, well, I expect no less from the greatest military strategist to come out of the Macapo system. <laughs> like, Thrawn recognizes him as a good strategist, and Thrawn is Star Wars' grandmaster yes, yes, strategist. Yes, yes, I don't remember that line. That's very interesting. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's unfortunately cool. kind of commenting on his suicide run because yeah. Jin's, story comes to an, Jin's story comes to an end when um, they are 
he's battling to kind of cover the evacuation of the Phoenix nest. Yeah. And it ends up being that there's an interdictor and with the interdictor locking down the system, no one's going to escape. So yeah. the only way to get out of here is to destroy the interdictor. And he's got access to his carrier, which doesn't have the firepower to do that. Right. But there's one way we could do it. We could yeah. ram it. Yeah. So Sato takes, you know, the, the, the traditional captain's way out of going down with his ship, sa- sacrificing himself. So the rest of, uh, you know, this rebel cell and these, uh, you know, the, these people fleeing the planet can survive. Um, but he does have a, uh, you know, beyond that, he is a character who we see make these great military decisions, right? Mm-hmm. But we also never really get a lot about who he is as a person beyond that. Much like when we talked about, you know, we've talked about other, um, we talked about Yularen before, for example, right? Sure. Like guys like Tarkin and Krennic, we have tons of examples throughout Star Wars of who they are. How did they become how they are? You know, we, we there's a lot when it comes to the villains. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to the heroes, when it comes to the good guys, there isn't a whole lot of backstory about a lot of these characters. So when you see a character like Sato and you see him, you know, make a really powerful sacrifice like he does here in Rebels... Um, it intrigues you to want to learn more about sure, them, cause, right? Because the traits, like you said, he's like he's like your Lauren, where we only see what we see in the the films, and that's it. You yes. have to extrapolate what you think they might be like, like because Sada we see is um, very disciplined. Um, he kind of is constantly questioning the rebels and like why they do the missions the way they do, and is like, could you do those? Could you fill out a single piece of paperwork? Could you tell people what you're doing before you do it? Can you let me know when you take my assets? Like there's a certain amount of discipline and military decorum that he kind of brings. And to be blunt, there's an adult hood to him that really no one but Hera shows. Yes. yes, And I think that also shows that like Hera and him get along really well. Yeah. Because they're both, they have the same thing in common that most of the rebel cell doesn't have. You know, responsibility and maturity. <laughs> Love you, Kanan, but you're still a, a cowboy boy. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think we kind of see that. I think Sato's death is pretty profound on Hera because I think Hera, the arc we see with her in this passage is a lot of like, she's happy to join Phoenix Squad. She's happy to now be part of something bigger. She's happy to follow orders from Sato. And after Sato's death, there's a lot of people that look at Hera and Hera is starting to realize of like, Oh, I, I can't be a joiner. I'm going to have to be a leader. Yeah. Like not of just this little cell, but like I have to lead chunks of the rebellion because I'm one of the few people that has the ability to do so. Yeah. Yeah. Filling, stepping into the role you're born to do. And we right? see that play out with like where Hera is in canon positionally at, um, you know, the Battle of Scarif. And being involved in that. Mm-hmm. And we know that she's instrumental in the Battle of Endor yeah. because she helps lead parts of that battle. Like we see that Hera grows up to kind of take Sato's role in a lot of way, ways of being one of the more responsible senior strategic person, but also people on the front line getting their hands dirty. Absolutely. Yes. So um, I think there's a lot of fun to think about, like if we had strategists like Sato survive how much better the rebellion could have done. Well, to that end too, it makes it be that much more interesting when we see what the rebel Alliance has had to go to up to Mm -hmm. the point of say the battle of Yavin, because you know, that is such the, 
first touchstone for pretty much every Star Wars fan of, oh, this small ragtag group of fighters defeats this giant evil emperor's giant space ball of death, right? Mm -hmm. That's where it all starts. So when we see all of these sacrifices, you know, it's what Rogue One did and it's what um, the Rebel Rising novel does and it's what, you know, Mm -hmm. Rebels the show does is it makes... All of these little, well, not little for these characters, but right. in the grand scheme of things, these little plot points, these little sacrifices, it makes the whole thing that much more interesting because, you know, this this rebellion is not going to be successful for another five years. They're not really going to have a big win. They're just basically trying to oh. survive. And so you have these characters who believe in what they're fighting in and are willing to sacrifice themselves for the greater good for the cause, even though the cause is basically almost non-existent yet yeah phoenix squads maybe like 50 people like in reality um and i think i think you're right because i think we see people like sato we also see the loss of capital ships at uh, the battle of scarif mm-hmm. um the rebels don't have much even the alliance that is the group yeah. of them all coming together yeah. Well, I think also it's just a good way to show that they don't have infinite resources at all. I yeah. think and I think you see a lot of the the cells that probably existed are part of the alliance are heads in the sand do, dealing with mm-hmm. their planet, kind of like we see the Lothal rebels to begin with. They're yes. just a group of like, you know, six people working this one planetary installation. Completely right? agree. And I think what you get to is much like we saw sort of in the end of Last Jedi to Rise of Skywalker, I think you see that at Yavin, yeah, they throw their snub fighters. Because, like, that's it. They might mm-hmm. have some transports, but, like, that's all they have left yeah. after Scarif. Like, and they lost their big guns. Did. And what is great about that is it's what makes episode four why we call after the Battle of Yavin and before the Battle of Yavin. That's the fulcrum where the entire galaxy says, Oh, you know what? We're all going to be a lot more brave. We could win this. Yeah. You you guys did something that was impossible and they did something that was an utter atrocity and those two things, the destruct the mm-hmm. just wanton destruction of Alderaan mixed with and the thing that did that was destroyed by a farm kid in a single fighter, right? Is this great narrative <laughs> that you can tell just like yeah. recruited the majority of them cuz even by the time we see on Hoth the the rebels are way more put together, way more structured, functional. Yeah. Yeah. I love that, uh, you know, over the years now, star Wars and, you know, current star Wars expanding universe canon, uh, has basically gotten to a point where, Oh yeah. The rebels only have old tech. Yeah. Right. The, the galaxy is a cleaner, fresher place than what we see in the original trilogy, but we're following a bunch of guerrilla fighters on the outskirts of society. Right. Right. And they're using ships that are 20 years old. They're Clone Wars era. You know, mm-hmm. they've, they've saved them from a salvage yard or they've pulled them out. Literally, they've dumpster dived for these ships. Oh. So that is such a I just I like all of that. Well, I and, like that we've gotten to that point of Star Wars. And one of the mission Sato sends uh, the rebels on is to collect a wings yeah totally why wings or is it why wing there's definitely they also get they also get why wings i think there's both because he also sends them on the b-wing episode that's true too yeah and again because we need that stuff totally um yeah that's right there's the y wings episode right because that's where you get these stripped down y wings because yeah, that's the really cool because that's early on season two yeah. when ezra's like taking the lead i think finally yeah or season three because kanan goes it's yeah it would be season three yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Well, the point is, like, again, it just shows that as that 
group evolves, we start seeing more and more, again, real military things like we need ships. Yeah, but we could blow this thing up. I don't care if you blow it up. Don't blow it up. I don't care. Just get me the ships. We need the ships for the battle after that one. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I think Sato is just an important character because I think it's a good example of someone who could really be dug into more, but is just the idea of like, like you said, here's what the Rebel Alliance looked before, like before it was the Rebel Alliance. Here's what the brave folk who fought against the Empire before they really had that safety net of a lot of support. Um, it's great. It is. These military characters... They're characters we certainly enjoy, mm -hmm. and I mean, I hope we continue to get more. I, like I said, I really want more development for these characters mm -hmm. because, you know, the, the people that stand on the bridge of the ship aren't normally the characters that get a lot of credit, that get a right. lot of attention. I mean, you know, Admiral Akbar has kind of become a fan favorite, but he didn't really do a lot in Return of the Jedi, you know? It was just well, his cool makeup and effects that made people like him. But those are characters we want to learn more about. And I think those kind of military-type characters, you know, by giving personality to characters like Cassian Andor and, um, you know, we're seeing more Mon Mothma now, more Bail Organa. I think Star Wars is not afraid to have kind of those aristocrat-type characters in in the universe now you know they're yeah. not afraid to show them and characterize them well, more than just their stereotypes with the broader media we have to play with like books and comics and stuff we can finally maybe tell some stories about characters who aren't waving a blaster around every yeah. couple of seconds yeah, like that's exactly what i mean le less action-based and yes, more cerebral I mean. characters so. absolutely and, and this is just a good example of a more recent one absolutely yeah good stuff yeah i think that was fun so now that we've done our rebels topic Mac, you want to talk a little Mando? Let's do it. All right. Welcome to Trask, a planet mostly covered in water with a mm -hmm. few ports, you know, a, a few nice little inns to dine at, uh, some nice friendly Mon Cal and Quarren mostly with a few frog people sprinkled in, you know, get you where you need to be, a little bit of an empire presence, but eh, nothing to really worry about, nothing ever really happens. Yeah, there's not much going on down there, they got a yard, you know, like for ships, shipyard, you got some harbors, mm -hmm. place you can get chatter. Mm -hmm. And they've seen everything there. They've seen everything. You know, nothing surprises them there. No. Nothing surprises them. No. And today, we're talking about the water planet of Trask. Yeah. The planet that we see in, uh, let's see, season two, episode three of The Mandalorian, The Heiress. Sounds right. Yeah, the, the Bo-Katan episode. The one that everybody uh, remembers. And we're Well, if talking... nothing else, you won't forget that Mon Cal in a cable knit sweater. I how mean, could you? How could you? How it's impossible. So we're talking about this great planet because, one, it's just a fantastic set piece. Oh, absolutely. First and foremost. Two, a lot of interesting things do happen there, and we've only seen it this one time. I think what it is, it's that, that, it's that classic thing we talk about this show. Of it makes the universe bigger. Yeah. Because I think one of the things a lot of people, writers and authors of Star Wars, have struggled with is 
the Flash Gordon problem, which is in space operas, you have the ice planet, the yeah. stone planet, yeah. the desert planet. Like, yeah. And you run out of terrain types on Earth that you can use. And I think <laughs> stuff like this just says, no, you just got to focus a little bit more. Like, yes, there's probably been water plants. We've seen Mon Cal in Camino. Uh, you know, we've seen some of this stuff. But like, what if it's space New England? What it's more about this like harbor space mm-hmm. and this fishing culture? Yeah. Right. And that is, yes, it's kind of weird to think of there's an entire planet that's like that. But like it feels very authentically Star Wars because it follows the rules of its one easy to understand terrain. You know, it's just this sort of like choppy, cold Atlantic water all all yeah. around. And then you have these just this small community that is in something you could find in Maine or Massachusetts. Absolutely agree. Um we also get to meet some really fun characters there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, not counting, of course, like the main characters tied into the story, but just, you know, not only is this the planet where uh, Frog Lady gets reunited with Frog Man and they have their frog baby, right? Yes. It's, it's one of the ones that Baby Yoda Grogu did not eat. Did not eat, yes, yes. It yes. actually gets to one be born. Of the One of the bloodline that uh, he did not murder. Um, <sighs> it's not murder. He ate it. It's different. Yeah. <laughs> True. It's sustenance. Um, and because uh, like we got to get to see the feeling of like this town's a little rough and tumble. Fishing culture, they're kind of kind of rough people. We see that their chowder isn't fully dead when it's prepared. <laughs> like, yeah, it's a bunch of people, a, a bunch of, you know, uh, of these aliens who aren't necessarily like awful people but they're not afraid to take advantage of a situation put the, in front of them i think the best way to put it is they're rough around the edges yeah, opportunity they, 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 they are they're eking out an okay existence on this planet but mm-hmm. when someone comes around with jingling a little bit of coin they're not above taking taking it as long as it's not truly against their own code yeah right so like when the mando is looking for passage to go and try and find find stuff they're like oh yeah no we we could take you and then they hire him on planning to betray him mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. now the question is did that mon Cal waiter working in that little you know that little inn there the one who serves uh grogu and din their soup right right did he know those corn were gonna betray them you think he's done this before like this is a scam mm. they run or if he's like oh i know someone that can help and then that person just turns out to be a total jerk well uh, in my hmm. I don't think it's clear in the episode. No, I would say not. my take is like, yeah, he's just a, a, a an inn owner. He's trying to be friends to everyone. He knows these brother Corin brothers run fishing and that they've taken people out there before. Yeah. And maybe they've taken them out there the exact same way. And this Mon Cal just doesn't know they didn't come back. Or it could be that the Corins in good faith go, sure. Yeah, you can book passage. We're heading out that way any, <laughs> anyway. And then they find out, oh, Beskar's worth a lot. We could like... It could be a thing where it's not till they're on the open sea they realize no one will ever know. We could just kill him and take his armor. That's what it feels like to me too. Yeah, that's exactly what it feels like to me. Honestly, yeah, is just Absolutely. they start realizing like we could get a lot more out of you if we knock you out. Absolutely. Um, and uh, luckily, uh, some uh, Mandos are there and help uh, kill all those Koreans, and then they just wipe out that entire family line before the end of the episode. <laughs> they do. We never learn uh, why, you know, those that group of Mandos, why that uh, section of the Night Owls is on Trask. Uh, we 
sort of do. They they they've been eyeing up that Imperial transport. I'm assuming that they're there. Mm, do you think they're there just for that? You I wouldn't be surprised they follow that into system. Oh, uh, okay, okay, okay. Because Trask I kind is, of read it that as a because Trask has some black market. It it seems like a um it seems like a Batu where yeah. it's not an actual like den of scum and villainy, but it's like it will look the other way on a lot of things that more civilized posts would not. Gotcha. That right. makes sense. I, I, you know what? I think I agree. Um, yeah. Oh, we've already mentioned it a couple of times, but like, I think one of the most uniquely cool thing about this is there's very few humans on Trask. Like the majority of the population is the already established aquatic or amphibian races. Yeah. And I think that really gives it some extra flavor in the sense of, that that's hard to do. Like, you know, the show's got to work to put all these people in costume and, and do that kind of stuff, but it makes it feel more exotic and interesting of like, absolutely. Oh yeah. These alien races. Like if you're a Mon Cal, yeah, you've definitely colonized onto other worlds, particularly wet ones, you know, like, because you're <laughs> yeah. not going to. Yeah. Now, one thing that's interesting is the frog lady implies that like, she's meeting her husband and they've moved, moved here. Cause it's one of the few places that they can live, which They're, tells me that sort of off the beaten path. Yeah. Um, but also they need to be near a wet aquatic yeah, world. They need a moist place. They need a, a humid world. So you, you got the two things, a human world where no one's going to look for you. That's where we're going to live. Cool. Yeah. Do you find it tragic that that Mandalorian visual, not visual guide is further out in the future now because frog lady is still frog lady and she has no established name for species. I know. I, it, <laughs> I feel lie. that was coming in the visual yeah, guide, it, but it, yeah. but we're not getting a visual guide for right now. We'll talk about that in the yeah. appendix, but like, I wish we would know the race. Cause I'm like, cause they imply that they're maybe the last of their kind. I don't know if that means as a family or as a species. I kind of yeah. I definitely species. interpreted it not as species as family, but I'd still love to know. Yeah. I, frankly, I'd love to know. And I'm not going to lie. The interiors, the little like kind of dome, like hut, domiciles they have mm-hmm. they look comfortable they look pleasant yeah yeah let's take a guess what would the frog lady species be called amphibios oh i think that's kind of on the nose uh yeah like <laughs> yeah star wars what, doesn't what if, do on what, the nose. what if you just find out like well what's the name of frog lady well actually the species name is frog lady it's just all one word. Mm, soft G. Soft G. Yeah. Lady. Um, I'd be okay with that. Yeah, like amphibians or yeah. amphibians or... Uh, yeah. Or or actually, but here's the thing. Star Wars, in my opinion, you always have the what I call, because uh, of a stupid podcast joke I used to listen to, uh, like the Mark Hamill version of it. Like, ah, it's Snakehead and that's it's uh, uh, Fish Face. Yeah. Like, the the Kenner line of yeah. talking about these yeah. aliens, but like Hammerhead. in universe, yeah. well, perfect example, Hammerhead. Yeah. You know who it is. You know what it is. You saw that guy in the cantina with the weird sort of, again, Hammerhead shark. He's kind of got like the head right. with this ice coming out. But like, what's the name of the species? A Thorian, yeah. which is this much more sophisticated, yeah. artistic kind of name. And over time, the Hammerheads, the Athorians have sort of been made into be like, a pretty advanced civilization yeah. and they've got these, you know, four vocal cords and they can produce sound and hear sound that most other species can't process. And it's like, Oh wow, that's really neat. That's really good. What's the one in the Masai's cantina? Oh, he's like a gun for a higher murderer. But anyway, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. so same thing with like frog lady yeah. of like, you know, there could be a perfect example of where this goes. And 
So we meet Watto, <laughs> a Tordarian, right? And then in Ambush, like the first broadcast episode of Clone Wars, we meet the Tordarian king and go, oh, Watto's... The outcast. Yeah, the he's sheep. he's yeah. the black sheep of the family. Yeah. These, these people are like Flash Gordon wearing like, you know, sophisticates over here with their sort of kingdom. They have like a kingdom. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good point. So, like, the, the it'll good be interesting point. to see where the frog lady goes. Because, again, as far as we know, they inhabit Trask, and that's it. I know. her. You know what? Their, their spawn, their child, they, they've got to grow up to be someone. That's that's who we need for the sequel series. This is we need to meet frog lady, lady's, you know, like, 18-year-old son running around. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 30-something. Her and Jason Sindula are going to be best friends. <laughs> well, I mean, it looks better. What? They'd be like 24 a, by the time Force Awakens happens. Yeah, that's it's possible. We don't have a frog. We don't have long the frog. Where live, where are my young adult novels telling about the friendship between Frog Boy and Jason Sindula? It's only a matter of time. Agreed. It is. It maybe, only is. Maybe we'll get a visual dictionary before that, though. I have to admit, like once we get through the High Republic and stuff, and there's uh, there's a lot of interest in the rise of the Empire era now, which we're not calling the Dark Times anymore. There's going at the rise of the Empire. Uh, that's cool. Uh, I do think eventually we will get more sequel era stuff. And I know like we're going to be expanding with like Rangers of the new Republican stuff. Yeah. We might revisit Trask in that show, for instance, it's right? Definitely possible. Yeah. Um, we're going to revisit like this six years after the battle of, um, Endor kind of period. But like, I'm really curious to see the six years before, you know, the battle of Starkiller base kind of yeah. era and what, what the galaxy looks like for, we Some want, of the sec, second generation characters. Yeah, we want Bloodline the book, the movie. You're right. You're right. I mean, I know we do. Yeah, Bloodlines is an amazing book. It, it gave me so much I wanted to know, and it's fantastic, and everyone <laughs> should go read it. Hey, but you want to go talk about the Visual Dictionary in the appendix now? We should. We should. We'll leave Trask for now, but I guarantee, if nothing else, the Mon Cal with a cable knit sweater has to come back into Star Wars at some point. I mean, I at least need a figure. We bring another one home. Another episode of Star Wars All In is all done. You know what I just thought of? That Mon Cal and then pick a cable knit sweater? Yeah. Bet you could have learned his name in the official dictionary, too. <laughs> uh, I think you're spot on. So if you don't know what we're talking about, um, a couple of Mandalorian projects were canceled or postponed or whatever you want to say. I Delayed indefinitely. Yeah, canceled, uh, canceled. this week. Um, the Mandalorian novel that originally was coming out last year and now was coming out at the end of this year um, was just scrapped. Um, we don't know why. We have no reason why. All that we really got in the way of information was um, the same sort of stock tweet on both the Del Rey Twitter yeah. and the, what is it, IDW who does the visual dictionaries? Yeah. I can't remember. Um, basically, the same stock tweet just changing like three words of, Due to the ever-expanding world of The Mandalorian, we're no longer making these. And you know what? For a Mandalorian novel, totally understand. 
I mean, in my mind, that novel was always going to be a prequel or something that takes place between season one and two, something that wouldn't matter if we told that story. But hey, for whatever reason, you don't want to put out a Mando novel right now. Seems like a bad business decision, but whatever. If it helps you creatively in the long run, that's great. I'm okay with that. Let's put it this way. The speculation of what happened ranges, I think, between two polls. Uh, Poll number one is the, the more, you know... I think it's the more fan theory because it has merit, but I also think that like it companies don't care about this the way the fandoms do, which is that it's the uh, erasure of Cara Dune Mm -hmm. that maybe that book featured her prominently Mm -hmm. and that the visual dictionary, they're going to hold it back to get rid of stuff that references her because Gina Carrero's whole explosion in the Twitterverse and causing her to be, uh, you know, fired by Lucasfilm has created a lot of waves. And there's a lot of people that are very cancel culture of uh, everything up to and including editing her out of the first two seasons of Mando. And I go, they're not going to do that because it's in the past and they're more than happy to fix the future by no longer working with her. But I, I just don't see it as like cancel culture is more of a fandom thing than it is a company's making smart business decisions. And even if, Okay, even if that's all whatever, like she's in the novelization, she's in this novel, and that's why, right? Right. Let's just say, okay, Star Wars, for years and years and years, has never had an issue publishing a visual dictionary every time a new thing comes out. Exactly. There have been, since 2015, I think three or four. Yeah. Right. And And... So come on, who cares if the world of Mando is always changing? We have two seasons that are not changing. So so give us a visual dictionary for those two seasons. So the other poll on this, which is the poll I'm closer to, which is I believe that right now, and and, uh, let's be honest, maybe Cara Dune and working around that character no longer being part of this era of Star Wars and her first sort of fading to the background is part of this. But like my guess is that they are hip deep now. In Mando season three planning and the Rangers of the New Republic story development, because in theory, from the Mm -hmm. writing standpoint, they just already finished up all the work they had left over from last year because Book of Boba Fett is filming, which means the writers are probably no longer working on it. Right. So they're working on the next phases of Lucasfilm work. That's all well and fine. But whatever they decide for season three of Mando does not change whatever the official name is going to be of the whistling uh, bird gauntlet on Mando's wrist that we want to learn the name of. I hear like, what you're that, saying. Like, that just doesn't hold any water. I hear me. what you're saying, but I think if you're re-engineering stuff and you in the internals know, hey, season three is going to be really different or Boba Fett shows you a lot more than we thought it was going to be or there's just big cultural things. Like maybe season three is he goes and meets Bo-Katan and we see like half a season of learning Mando lore. And learning more about the things that are already on his armor and stuff like that. I could see them just basically saying, hey, you're going to be removing those Cara Dune pages if the fans are right. You know, anyway, so I tell you what, can we just punt this till the fall and make it season one, two and three? I guess, but it it just seems it seems very opposite of what they've done in the past. Yeah, but I would also say that that's not. That's not surprising. We we never had a live action Star Wars show before, so we've never had to market towards it. So, you know, maybe it would be fine. I mean, look at the art book. Why wasn't there an art book for season one? Yeah. 
Why oh, yeah, wasn't there a visual actually, dictionary yeah. for season one yeah. and then one for season two? And yeah. like the money grubbing side of things says, why is there one for every season? Oh, yeah, of Mando? there absolutely should have been. I right. Mean, I, yeah. and, and my suspicion is because they're trying to roll it up into a more enticing product, yeah. because while you could make a visual dictionary on these chunks, it's not as much density as you get in a movie. And there's not as much interest in it as there is in a movie's visual dictionary. So maybe it is trying to save it up and they've never done this before. And maybe that's why it's a little weird and And different. Okay. And that's totally fine. But then there better not be a visual dictionary until the show's over. Uh, I felt that's how I felt about the art book, to be honest. It's just like, then like, it's like choosing where to draw the line. It just, I guess my point is none of this makes sense. And there's gotta be another reason. Um, maybe I, I don't, a project just not gelling together enough. Yeah. Um, and then saying, like, let's put it this way. If you put money on it, I would suspect the most realistic thing is the product's just not good. And they decided maybe we can get more material if we just cancel it now. Maybe. And maybe they're just maybe. like, or maybe they're just like, there's no market for that. I find all of that hard to believe, though. I find both of those scenarios hard to believe. I, I, because let's Mando put it this way. Sells like crazy. Well, here's my thing. There's enough controversial crap in the books that I can't see. Even if it was Cara Dune, a novel, I don't see why you don't print a novel unless the novel just isn't good. It's just not coming together because novels are insanely cheap compared to other marketable products from Star Wars, right? A visual dictionary takes a lot more people and a lot more work than a novel. Mm -hmm. Um, so it could just be, Hey, we're canceling that novel. And that makes us really question the viability of other stuff. Right. I, 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 I think it was weird. They were announced at the same time, which automatically makes assume form tweet, which makes it just assume that that came from the same decision that was happening. Yeah. Right. Whoever the Disney ambassador is to those companies, whatever said, Hey, here's a little idea of what you could tweet out about it. And maybe the reason that I think of, and admittedly, they're way bigger projects, so understand that it is different, but like the amount of canceled Star Wars video games that were completely viable, or in mm-hmm. the case of at least three I can think of off the top of my head, where they were basically done, and the marketing cycle said, we're just not interested in that product right now. We're not, we're not focusing on that. Which was like Imperial Commando, which was almost all the way through imper- through pre-production and was going to use the same assets as Republic Commando. But they said, nah, we're not focusing on Order 66 content. We're focusing on the Clone Wars. So we don't want to confuse kids. That, that project's canceled, right? Or you have projects like um, the most infamous is 1313, right? Well, uh, actually, we're going into Rebels and stuff like that. And we have some vague plans for what we're going to do with Mandalorian. So this Boba Fett-driven underworld thing, we're not going to do that, right? Like, and and some of that is, like I said, like you're, you're talking about projects that were millions of dollars invested into being created, where most people would say the more proper thing is to finish it and try to get recurrent investment where they just go, nah, no, no return on investment. Just cancel it. Cut, take your losses, Yeah, which is how that business works. So For that sure. happens, but like, For sure. um, it, it just wouldn't surprise me if they're just like, no, nah, we want this in the marketing cycle for season three, not for post season two. Yeah. I mean, I hope that's all it is. And I hope that, you know, in April or whatever, you know, about a year or, from now, we're getting a visual dictionary. Or last but not least, there's another another way this could go that is would strange to us, but could be. No, um, High Republic's going gangbusters. We don't want anything to 
to to taint that unless it's a product we think really stands on its own we want to focus on high republic related printed content right now oh i'd love for that to be true but i doubt it oh i would love for that to be true though well like other than what the alphabet squadron book like i can't think of a lot that's like the thrawn there's the thrawn trilogy but yeah but i mean we oh there is there is how about a little bright spot uh, okay uh in the news a yeah. third uh queen's book a third e. K. oh Johnson, yeah queen's hope i, I want to say think, off the top of my head. yeah i saw the announcement um, but yeah. i actually haven't yeah even looked at it into too much because i mean i'm sold i'm gonna buy it and read it instantly i mean i can't wait it's very good um queen's uh queen's uh peril mm-hmm. and queen's shadow are both fantastic padme books and i cannot wait uh i always have a trouble queen shadow is the first one second one for first one but second one <laughs> so queen's it's the peril first is written chronologically book but chronologically the, second, the first yes. one uh queen's peril is one i've said this a bunch of times i highly highly if you're a fan of the phantom menace yeah read it 100 percent. it is not a book to miss out on um, but I can't wait. I think that's going to be fantastic. Super happy to have an announced uh, another Star Wars book announced. Is there anything else? Any other adult Star Wars books? I don't think so. Not really. We we sort of had the second... Mando novel. That was the one everyone. That was the non High Republic novel everyone was looking forward to. Yeah, I was gonna say because it was was it November? Yeah. It well, really... it initially when they first announced it, it was last year, like last winter. But yeah. then, like immediately, they're like, no, no, we actually mean next november right and then yeah here we are here we are well like i said i i don't think there's a world (laughs) where we're not going to get a visual dictionary that includes mandalorian content eventually yeah i just think it's it's just been kicked down the road at least a year or more i think maybe one thing internally that i that i'm feeling that i'm not expressing is i'm very worried about the whole trying to avengers the mandalorian Mm. And, and I'm worried that that's maybe where it's heading, like that this character is not going to be able to stand on his own anymore for whatever reason. Like, like that, you I'm know, not... like he's had his, he's had his Iron Man one and two. We're not seeing him again until the Avengers. I'm not you know, worried, I'm worried about, about that because I believe Filoni and Favreau are invested in Dijon's story. And I think they have an idea. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't be surprised the Mandalorian gets five seasons and done. I'll be yeah. very disappointed if it only gets three, like it's a Netflix series. Yeah. Um, but you, you definitely, the Ahsoka series, the Rangers of the New Republic, you can definitely feel of like, oh, we've got a franchise here. I'm like, yeah, it's called Star Wars. You've always had it. Like, don't get so hyper-focused because yeah. the Mando story is the Mando story. If 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 Rangers of the New Republic and Ahsoka have the same tone as as the Mandalorian, I probably won't get into those shows because the Mandalorian is a bounty hunter in a tough and tumble universe. Yeah, it makes sense why his is the way it is. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm incredibly excited for whatever TV oh, shows absolutely. they want to give me. And if season three of The Mandalorian is totally different than season two, that's totally fine. Because frankly, season two of Mando was totally different than season one. Right. So that's okay. I'm not trying to make it sound like it's a bad thing. But this cancellation of the novel is one thing, but the visual dictionary specifically is the first time since the rise of Skywalker where I'm like, what? Why? Well, maybe the Keeper of the Holocron was like, no, they can't know Frog Lady species. It will <laughs> ruin everything. It. Maybe maybe Pablo just wasn't in the mood. But that is the, like, like. <laughs> I just, I just, sorry, I just see what a desk is going like, 
Guys, I can't keep making up names for this stuff. Uh, you got to find someone else. I'm, I'm just, I've, I've named like forty percent of Star Wars' stuff. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> I mean, who knows? Maybe that is it, and maybe one day in the future we'll find out. But today, unfortunately, is not that day. No, and I think that's, I think that's going to be it for us. So I'm I Mac. Think it might be, and I'm Ross. And until next Wednesday, may the Star Wars be with you. No, it's not what we say, but I thought I'd change it up. Okay. This production is not endorsed by any other property and is the sole responsibility of Mac Purvis III, Ross Greco, and those involved in its production. It is meant for entertainment purposes only. Other than content provided by this production's providers, all music, music clips, sound bites, rights are reserved, and their respective owners have not endorsed any aspect of this show. Copyright 2021.